Hey, college football fans. Welcome to CFI, the College Football Impact, here on the CFP Podcast. Yes, it's another rousing episode with me, Chappie, smiling big and happy. I'm joined by the whole ball of wax, Mike Waxman from Columbus OH, not Georgia. And while Georgia was on Ray Charles's mind, Sully is on our mind. He can't be with us as he's making a living supporting that beautiful family that have adopted his ugly mug. But nonetheless, he's with us in spirit and Wax and I are here to get in your ears and in your minds and in your hearts, hopefully a little bit about the greatness that is college football. Now, I will say that the NFL draft is this weekend, but because we are a college football podcast, we're going to promise you that we'll touch on the draft and our thoughts a little bit in our cover four segment. But most of what we'll spin and lay out on a charcuterie board, if you will, is strictly about the current college football players, coaches, and even stadiums. And we're lucky to be joined by Steve from Twitter. He's one of our follows and and somebody that has been to every college football stadium in America, every FBS stadium for the Power Five, the Group of Five schools. So we'll be very pleased to have him join us here momentarily. But we're going to start off with the opening drive. Into the end zone, that's touchdown on the game-opening drive. And some news and notes. So starting off, we've got May 1st coming up. That's the deadline to be in the transfer portal and be eligible to play in the 2022 season. So that will be Sunday. Sunday, yes. Yeah, Sunday. So there has to be official declaration by players. And if it's past Sunday, I believe, at midnight, if it bleeds into May 2nd, they can still enter the portal, but they cannot be eligible to play until 2023. And we've had some recent, at least in the last two weeks, jumps to a program. Alabama has gotten a couple more talented players that look to play pretty big roles on that offense. Offensive tackle Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt, who is considered to be the most sought-after offensive lineman still in the portal. Wide receiver Tyler Harrell, which is kind of shocking to me. He had an outstanding spring at Louisville. And now he's going to Tuscaloosa to join that talented offensive roster to play wide receiver. West Virginia gets JT Daniels, and we kind of touched on that on our last podcast, but didn't really get too deep into it. It'll be interesting to see him going against Keaton Slovis, another portal guy playing against Pitt in that backyard brawl. We'll talk more about that game in just a moment. And then Ajay Hall, who left Alabama, was in Saban's doghouse and violated some team rules, felt that The culture didn't match with him. And so he's going out to join former Alabama OC Steve Sarkeesian, who's now the head coach at the University of Texas. So Hall will join Isaiah Nair and Xavier Worthy and some of the other talents at wide receiver in what looks to be a pretty high-flying offense in Austin, Texas this year. Now, an interesting stat here, Wax, on the the transfer portal, and I saw this on ESPN.com. In the last two seasons, so 2020, 2021, only 54% of transfer portal entries went to a new school. 41% are still active and 5% withdrew their name. So really only half of the people that put their name in the portal end up going to another location. So I think this is kind of some evidence to show that the portal will naturally kind of work itself out and regress back to the mean. I still don't like it and I don't like the wild west ways that we're seeing, but at least that number kind of gives some light to the fact that it, the grass is not always greener. Any quick thoughts on the transfer portal before we move uh, on? Wax? Um, 
I do think that there's going to be a self-correction in the next couple of years just because of the extra roster spots for COVID when people were given uh, a sixth and in a few cases, seventh season rosters are bloated right now. They're allowed to be on the team, but I think in a couple of years when it's back down to the regular 85, I think you're going to see a little bit of a correction and it's not going to seem like so many people um, are, are out there. Cause there are some six year guys who are going through and picking a new program. And it's like, man, he's still playing. So, yeah. so I think there will be a bit of a natural correction. Um, but you're right. It does seem, I mean, especially, and you kind of had to expect it with spring ball ending. If coaches made their declarations and say, Hey, this is our guy. Then it just is only natural for a guy who maybe thought he was going to get a shot at starting to explore uh, greener pastures. I mean, happened to Ohio State with Joe Burrow. He got beaten out by Dwayne Haskins, and he went to LSU, and the rest was history. So um, it it definitely can work out. But like you, I wish there was a little more order and a little more logic to it, and just sort of sequenced with with windows that you have to be in and out by a certain certain time. Yeah, and speaking of that, and I know that we've talked about this before, and you brought up a lot of good points on that, Wax, but I think that one of those windows needs to be to where the portal deadline shouldn't be May 1st. It should be April 1st because at that point, not many teams have had their spring game yet. So I think that if a guy really wants to go to a a different place after being in a program, hopefully for a year or at least a football season, they'll have to make that decision before they go through spring practice and spring workouts because, again, you're talking install, you're talking – decisions, important decisions have to be made. Business decisions have to be made. And while, yes, these athletes are privy to doing what's best for them, I think that if they want to play immediately in the in the upcoming season, they need to make that decision before spring practices in earnest really get going and certainly before spring games because what I don't like is, you know, a team like Louisville, we talked about Tyler Harrell, went through the whole pr- spring, went through the spring game, and now he decides, okay, I'm going to go to another place and be eligible right away this year. I just, I don't like how that goes. So I think that one of those windows needs to be before spring ball starts in order to be eligible. Yeah, that, that, that would, I mean, cause they'd really say, Hey, do I want to tough it out and compete in the spring game and go into the fall and see what I can do? Or if, if you really want to cut bait, do it before, before uh, the, the, the games and spring practice really gets going. Yep. And I know, I know from experience and I know from others who've experienced at Wax that adversity is not always a killer. Sometimes adversity makes you better and it having to tough something out or having to sit down and actually think about things and, yeah. and plan yeah. something out. Sometimes that, that plays to a greater advantage than to just be reactionary and say, well, I'm not happy right now, so I'm going to go and assume that everything's going to get better. So, And of course, I know that doesn't apply to every single college football player, and I'm going to get off my soapbox here a little bit, but at the same time, we are talking about young adults. We're not talking about elementary students. So other NCAA news, NCAA President Mark Emmert, who spent 12 years as the leader of the NCAA, is stepping down no later than June of 2023 or sooner if a replacement is found. But that's something that needs to be scoured and they need to find the right person. You know, so you look at some of the things that he did that were good. He brought in a lot of money for the NCAA and their institutions. And so there was a lot of increase in the last decade under Emmert's watch. But some of the things that he's been highly criticized for has been lack of regulation, protective regulation, and kind of going away from the amateurism model. And I know some of it is a little beyond his control, but uh, there are some people who 
have considered him to be really false and a, a bad leader in that sense. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he stepped down. Maybe he feels I'm not the person who can lead us into this new frontier and somebody better should be. So I'm going to pitch that the new NCAA president, because we all know that college football is the main revenue source for these institutions, whether you like that or not, you should look at the numbers and, and say, okay, well, it's fact. It should be somebody with a college football background and then get like a cabinet, kind of like the president does, you know? So not somebody who has to be like the commissioner and does everything on his own, but I think that absolutely it should be somebody with a college football background who is going to lead the new charge and the new wave of the NCAA, in addition to somebody who's got some relevant experience with leadership, Wax. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, certainly you've seen guy, you've seen that criteria on the selection committee for the CFP. They, a lot of them would shift really well over to leadership the NCAA. I mean, someone like Oliver Luck, who yeah. was who was at West Virginia, but has a, a football background and played in the NFL and understands the business of sports. That would be a, a, someone like him. Um, I was actually going to say, can you put? quotation marks around leader for Mark Emmert. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just because he, he really seemed to come off, especially when there were scandals in programs. Um, he, he wanted nothing to do with that. Well, this is not the NCAA's place to, to really do anything. And he just seemed like when, when the heat got really turned up, that he just sort of passed the buck off to just the schools or just the conference. It's like NCAA is not going to do anything with that. And it's like, he, he just seemed to come off as not very strong in real crisis times. Exactly. And, and I think that that's the biggest knock against him. And again, kudos to him for realizing, okay, I'm not leading this in the direction or, you know, air quotes, leading this wax in the right yeah. direction. So I'm going to step down. I think that that, you know, I have respect for him for doing that as opposed to, getting run out or saying, well, I'm going to stay until my contract expires. And I like the idea of trying to find a replacement. And as soon as that viable replacement is there, he's done. So it's not like he's, you know, going kicking and screaming and saying, well, I mean, because the last thing that college football needs and the NCAA needs is someone in a lame duck position when so many important things have to be going on. So there's a lot of work to be done and I'm going to put my positive faith and hope in the people who are spearheading this, this search committee and, and looking to get college athletics back into a, a more stable place relative to where they are now. So getting to the last part of our news and notes here on the opening drive, some spring games over the last couple of weeks, some big name programs. So starting at USC, Caleb Williams, the transfer from Oklahoma, looked good. Travis Dye, the transfer from Oregon, also looked good. Terrell Bynum was the leading receiver. Mario Williams also made some, some great plays out on the outside, but offensive line still seems to be a question. Oklahoma going out to Norman. Now there was a lot of buzz about what a great crowd they had and what a great atmosphere. And I got to say, everybody seems to just love and a lot of excitement for Brent Venables as their new coach. And I, and it seems to be genuine, you know, alumni, former players, people who maybe never even played under him. You know, I, I saw an interview with Baker Mayfield when he was back for that god-awful statue that looks statue, not yeah. much like him uh, and they really should have put a helmet on him and not given him this uh, completely different face but he was even saying after talking with Venables for about 20 minutes before the spring game he said I want to run through a wall for this guy so Dylan Gabriel the numbers don't really pop out 12 of 28 for 250 and again it's a spring game 
And Javante Barnes, a freshman who enrolled early, got the, the lion's share of the carries. But Eric Gray averaged 13 yards per carry on four carries. So he still looks to be the A number one guy in that backfield. Marvin Mims showed up and looked good. All I got to say, Wax, is I really hope that these two teams, based on their success this year, end up playing each other in a bowl game because the fan bases and even a little bit coaching staffs are kind of being chippy with one another. And I love it. I love that kind of rivalry. But I don't want to see this die down and, and simmer. I want to see it come to a boiling overflow in some sort of postseason matchup this this uh, December or January. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love Bob Stoops. Um, you know, I was I wasn't the biggest fan of him on the Fox uh, Big Noon kickoff. I thought Urban was better, mm-hmm. but I love it when he says stuff like Lincoln Riley didn't invent football. Yes. and that's the type of stuff that for years and you're right even though they're not in the same league i can guarantee you that the ad's are going to be on the phone saying in 2026 we got to play each other because the bad blood's going to be there it's just going to keep building up so so i like that the one thing i noticed about the usc game is uh espn which normally relegates the pac-12 to like friday night midnight um they, they acted like this was the opening of just some hugely anticipated Broadway musical. They had just all of the bells and whistles. The announcers were just positively giddy that, oh, look, here's Lincoln Riley. It's almost like USC had never been a program, and now all of a sudden they're good. And and the coverage was, to me, a little bit over the top for a team that has been pretty mediocre for the last two or three years. But I I get it. They're a brand, and I think it is good when they're a good team. But let's pump the brakes a little bit and and not act like it's some big coronation because I don't think they've proven anything yet. Right. And to play devil's advocate, and I love that you brought up that quote from Bob Stoops. I actually had that written in my notes here, Wax. But to play devil's advocate and give Lincoln Riley a little bit of credit here, I do like seeing things that some of his players are saying. One of his offensive linemen said, quote, he's not afraid to hurt people's feelings or hold dudes accountable, which you have to do. I mean, when you're bringing in the the you know all these five stars and the best of the best basically the new york yankees of college football in terms of big name talent and probably big egos as well you you have to have a guy who is not afraid to wrinkle some uh skin ruffle some feathers and dig at that ego a little bit because that's really the only way to have your program going in the right direction as you see fit which he did well at oklahoma but again going back to stoops it's not like Oklahoma was a bare cupboard when he was there. He was basically gifted a great program from Bob Stoops and was brought up in the right way. And Lincoln, to his credit, did a lot of things right, and, and he put a lot of his own personal touches on there. But, yeah, let's, let's remember, and I agree with you, let's pump the brakes on USC a little bit right now, and let's remember that OU was in a good place before Lincoln, and I think that they'll still be in a good place post-Lincoln. All right, Wax. We've got our trivia question here before we go to our, our next segment with Steve, who's going to talk to us about all of the great college football stadium experiences. But can you name for me the program that has had the most players drafted ever? Which of the college football programs, and they've had 520 after last year's draft total, which program has had the most players selected in the NFL draft? Um, so so we're, we're talking common draft uh, I believe so. Yes. Um, okay. I didn't go too deep for that into my research, but essentially since, since players were drafted into the league, this program has had more than any other program in, in current college football. I'm going to say USC. 
That was very close. They were actually number two, but their rival in South Bend, Indiana, Notre Dame, had close. 520. I think USC was five below that. So okay. we'll see how that stacks out. I, I don't see USC eclipsing Notre Dame after this year's draft, but who knows, yeah. maybe in two, three years after the wonderful Lincoln Riley is churning out draft pick after draft pick, possibly number one overall draft pick, they, they could be eclipsed. All right, we are now to segment two, which is our conference calls segment. And usually we go around the Power Five conferences, Big Ten, SEC, Pac-12, Big 12, ACC. And then we'll also touch on Wax and I's favorite subgroup, the group of five, although I don't like to think of it as an inferior group. Uh, but we are joined by somebody who has been privileged enough to visit every FBS stadium out there. His name is Steve, and you can find him on Twitter at FB underscore Steve. FB is in football, underscore Steve. And Steve, I can speak for Wax because we talked a little bit about it off the air, but uh, we are envious and would love to be in your shoes. Steve, thanks for joining us. And I, I love the fact how you introduced yourself to me off air. And that is a very lucky Canadian to be blessed by a very supportive wife. And that's one of the first things I wondered when I saw you on Twitter and you were posting these things and and you went through kind of like your honor roll of stadiums and your your uh years of experience and i thought man he he must have you know an incredibly supportive wife and and talking to you a little bit it seems like you do but steve thanks for joining us and i'm going to stop talking here um and i want you to get kind of right into it so um wax and i are curious what's your criteria for when you're looking at what you consider to be some of the best college football stadium experiences uh, thanks for the question. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. It's going to be fun. And I, and I just want to take just a quick second and say you're 100% correct. If it were not for my spouse, I would my partner, I wouldn't have had these chances and done all this stuff. I mean, that kind of support is just priceless. And, uh, and in fact, she might she might be the better interviewer than me. But in any event, you got me for now. So when I think about like a really good game day experience, for me, the first thing is something, and this isn't very polished, but it's something about, I don't know, vibe or energy or something. What, what are you picking up a, like a pulse off the crowd? And, and one of the things is I thought more about that. I thought you, you tend to get that obviously with larger crowds and not necessarily large in terms of just sheer numbers, but more large in terms of capacity of the stadium. And, and then that may be realized that winning teams tend to draw better than teams that aren't winning. And so, like it or not, when you're going to a stadium where there's a history of winning and they're, they're playing some good football in recent years, sometimes it's just a great vibe and you pick it up almost immediately. And, and they have stuff like, you know, lots of pregame activities, a fan zone, maybe they have a family zone, you'll see lots of kids around and so on. And, and you just start to feel the energy before you've really done much of anything. The, the, the tailgating experience is, is a key part. I mean, if, if again, in the first two or three minutes, you, you sense from people, are, are they really engaging? Do they, I often wear the visiting team colors or I'll wear Oklahoma or UB colors, my two favorite teams. And, you know, like are people trying to engage you and so on? And, and then two other quick things. One is the students. If there's lots of students there, it's going to be a fun day. And if there aren't many students, well, it's, it's, it's still be a good day, but it's not going to be as much fun. And the other thing, of course, I mean, it's football. So food. And if, if you can find some good food in the stadium, and my wife is a bit of a foodie, she loves it. So if we can find some good food, that, that just adds to it as well. So the game itself, 
you know, you expect to see good football. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. But but those are the – it's more of this – it's more about the crowd and the energy around it. Yeah, uh, and, and I I echo a lot of that. So, like, when I um, when I think about my criteria, um, first of all, I, I would love to zero it into stadiums that are on campus. You know, for me, there's not as much luster to go to a – a stadium that is shared by a professional team, you know, like, so going yeah. to Heinz field for Pittsburgh doesn't yeah, entice point. me as much. Um, you know, even going down to like hard rock stadium for Miami. Um, yep. I, I haven't been to either place, but you know, the fact that they're not yeah. necessarily entrenched in the heart of that campus, that college campus, yeah. and I'm a big college campus guy. That's a big thing for me. Another part is like yeah. environmental settings. So I would love to go out to Lavelle Edwards stadium and, and just kind of witness the backdrop, of those mountains in Utah, same thing out uh, at right uh, Maverick Stadium in Logan, Utah, and Wax. I know that you're going to be heading out to the Beehive State not too long from now. Um, fan interaction is another thing. I mean, when I'm watching a game on TV and I'm getting goosebumps because I'm hearing the crowd and I'm seeing the energy, like I'm thinking, enter Sandman last year uh, at Lane Stadium when yeah. North Carolina yeah. went in and got upset by Virginia Tech. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. And then for <laughs> me, it's it's the colors too. Like I love seeing school colors and I love seeing like so the whiteout at Penn State uh yeah, you know right seeing on. how they'll you know they'll wear mostly black at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa they'll wear either maroon or navy out in Vaught Hemingway in uh, for Ole Miss so those are some of mine Wax what about you before we get back to Steve and hear from you know the inside here what are some of your criteria that qualifies it as a great college football stadium experience well, I have a little bit of a different perspective than you because I used to cover games. So we didn't really get to participate a whole lot in the pregame atmosphere because we were, especially if it was a road game, we were trying to find our way up to the press box and make sure that everything was was ready to go. But a couple that really stood out in our travels, um, one I was really surprised about, Mountaineer Stadium in Morgantown is really, really rabid. Those fans really <laughs> like their football. So yeah, that one was, was a lot of fun. And then um, one of my other favorites, I also love the whiteout. I've seen a couple of them at Penn State. And as much as I hate the infernal lion's roar on first down, it is a great, great experience. And it's something that everyone should do. Yeah. And of course, I'm a little bit partial to uh, the horseshoe as that's where I've seen more games than any other place. But um, I will say, and I don't want, and I, and I try not to be homerish all the time. I don't think that the pregame stuff at Ohio state is all that good. The tailgating is good. And the skull session is a must see, but I'm not sure that the fans are always as engaged as they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's funny. The ones you you guys are both talking about are some of the ones that I made a little side list for myself. They're, they're some of my very favorites and I'll get around to those later, but yeah, I could. And I also really good point by the way, about the on-campus stuff versus the, uh, you know, the pros I've been to, I've been to seven or eight games in pro state, maybe nine or 10 in pro stadiums. And I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of neat. You see a pro stadium, but it, it's, it's, it's not the same vibe. Yeah. Absolutely. Because one of the things I love doing before the game and even maybe after the game is walking the campus, especially if I've never been there before. So, you know, being um, on Notre Dame's campus in South Bend, uh, Evanston for Northwestern games, you know, Michigan State, 
And those are just some of the ones that I visited. Um, and there's clearly a lot more that I'd like to. But, you know, we talked about Ohio State and the horseshoe. We talked about Penn State and Beaver Stadium. So, Steve, start us off with the Big Ten. To you, what was one of the best stadium experiences that you have gone through in the Big Ten? Well, uh, uh, honorable mention to Penn State. I've been to Penn State a swack of times. You're right, watch about the about the whiteout. It's it's, it's just a really neat experience. I like I like Penn State a lot, and and the fans there are really. And you can get some great ice cream before the game up at the cream. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. but, but aside from that, really, my favorite is Nebraska. There's something about that the history. Uh, uh, the old Big Eight history that's in there. They have they have a rich tradition of winning, although you wouldn't know that over the last decade or so. Um, their their fans are second to none in terms of friendliness and engagement. And I don't even think I had my car parked, and and there were guys you know inviting us to tailgates. And, and it was just it's just really it's it, there's so much history when you go in the stadium and all the photos of past teams and, and award winners and man if you don't if you don't get goosebumps walking into that stadium then you don't like college football yeah and it's and it's kind of funny when you say that Nebraska still doesn't roll off the tongue to me as a big 10 team they're still a big eight and even a big 12 team to me but you know, when we're getting technical, yeah, Nebraska takes it for the Big Ten. And I agree wholeheartedly about their fans. They have one of the most um, – uh, one of the friendliest fan bases for an opposition that I've ever experienced. What about the SEC, Steve? So they, they talk about, you know, how great it is in the SEC, and it just means more. Um, so tell us, what was one of the best SEC stadium experiences? Honestly, and I hate to say it because I'm not a huge SEC fan, but it does mean more. They uh, they are some of my best experiences. I mean, especially the SEC West. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're big stadiums. They're full of people. They're, they're diehard fans. And yet they're friendly as the Dickens. My, my all-time favorite, without a doubt, though, has to be LSU. Tiger yep. Stadium. You, you, you're up on top of the hill. You're looking down at the Mississippi. It, it uh, we show up four hours early. You get free parking. Free parking for goodness' sake at, at wow. LSU. And Tiger, who's in his, and I know it may not be politically correct about animals and pens and that, but he's in in his in his area, and it's it's just it's just so exhilarating. And when they do the, the the march, like all the teams do, and I I saw last time I was there, Ogeron and Joe Burrow leading the guys coming in. Yeah. It's just, uh, and at night, you know, death belly at night, man, there's, there's just so much going on. It's just excitement and the fans are, the fans are friendly as the Dickens. And yeah, that is definitely, that is definitely a bucket list uh, place for me. I'd love to see it at night, especially, I mean, anything that registers on the Richter scale has to be serious, <laughs> I think. Yeah, right on, right on. It is. It's, it's uh, for me. It was just a cool. But, but honestly, like, like full marks to like uh, Auburn. That whole town, that little town, just gets engaged, and, and, and it just and, and the rolling of the oaks. It, it, it it's pretty, pretty great. And uh, Alabama, my goodness, you go to Ramajama and have that foot long hot dog, and you get a can of beer and a brown bag, and you walk around, and and you see Nick and the guys coming in. Man, it's it's great football. Yeah, definitely. Wax, we're going to have to plan a, a tag team trip down to Death Valley. And um, yes. yeah, like I on my bucket list, not only is to go to Jordan Hare Stadium, but also to have a picture taken at Toomer's Corner. I would love to visit that area. I hear that mm-hmm. Auburn, Alabama is just one of the more heavenly 
places in America. And I've heard that from people even outside yeah. of the South. So yeah, uh, yeah. definitely we, like we liked there. it. We liked it a lot. And I, I told you, I told you about being a foodie. There's a great donut store right on the main street there, a, a couple hundred yards from the stadium. And their donuts are to die for. They're right. They're fancy and schmancy. And my wife loved them. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, let's get to the pac 12. So going out West, um, there's, there's some pretty picturesque and beautiful stadiums and backdrops out there, but what stands out to you is right one on. of the top experiences uh, right in, in your life, Steve? Well, on, honestly, I think, and it may be one of the prettiest ones in America, uh, is Washington, UW. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's on the water, and the guys are coming up in the boats, and they're tying up their boats together and partying. And, and just the, the setting is, is really magnificent. And it's a nice old stadium. It holds 75,000 or so. And uh, it's uh, people, I found them very friendly, uh, easy, good public transportation to whip around. But, but there was a good vibe, lots of partying going on. We got invited to a lot of tailgates and talked to a lot of, lot of people. And, and uh, that, uh, it was just good fun. They, they, even when their team isn't playing super, they're still pretty up on the, uh, on the coup. So, so anyway, they... Anyway, I, I, I Washington to be at the top of the list. My honorable mention would would actually be Colorado. The, yeah. uh, the the scenery spectacular, but if for nothing else, if you don't see it until until you see the uh, when she starts to run, the buffalo starts to run. Man, that is just out of this world. Uh, if if you and you watch those kids chasing her around, and you thank God if one of them falls, somebody's going to get hurt. But it, right. it's just really really special. Yeah, and uh, I've got a couple uncles that live out in Seattle, so while they're still there, I, I need to make a trip out not only to visit them and, and be with family, but to, to check that out during the fall. And, I mean, you said 75,000, which I know doesn't compare to some of the bigger, you know, triple or, you know, six-figure stadiums, but it does get incredibly loud there at Huston sure Stadium, especially when they're playing, like, the Foghorn and the, yeah. and the Siren. I mean, it's just uh, – as, as a Husky fan, you got to love it, but as a – neutral observer or even as an opponent it's got to be damn irritating so well, um, it was great i mean i was there for for an oklahoma game the first time i went i went for oklahoma back in yeah. 08 and i'm wearing all my all my crimson and cream and and man i tell you the people were still friendly and afterwards we split a cab with some husky fans back to our hotel i mean everybody's just it's college football people are there to have fun yeah. yep for sure well let's go to the big 12 because it won't be long before we really can't talk about the big 12 as really a, a power five conference anymore so of the schools that are there the 10 schools that are in there which ones stand out and i i can assume that OU because i know you're a sooner <laughs> fan that might be at the top so that's fine if you want to go there but if you want to give us another one in addition we'd love to hear it steve well i will and you're right i mean i i was going to say i have to admit my bias up front chappy i uh, i am a huge OU fan have been for for decades and uh so to me it was sort of like going to mecca you know it, it was yeah. it was an experience to to walk in heisman park and to see the the the, the, the coach just to understand the number of coaches that have been there that have won 150 games each or more you know and yeah. and it just anyway it was it was aside from oklahoma and i could go on about it all day i won't <laughs> my, my my favorite actually my next favorite would be west virginia and, yeah. and, and again, back to Wax's comment about, uh, about Morgantown, hundred percent. Right. We, the first time I went stayed uh, parked out by the uh, basketball arena, I forget what it's called, 
lots and lots of parking there. We get out there. Well, we met guys. We tailgated, had fun. We talked football for two hours. And then and then you pay. In those days, it was like two bucks, and you got a return shuttle on a on a school bus, basically, from the basketball arena over to the foot over to Milan Pusker and, and back. And, and man, it was uh, there was a great vibe. The energy was huge. They are. I think. I think Wax said they were rabid. That's a good word. They. they uh, they're. They're pretty. Pretty pumped up about it. Well, and and they were nice because they saw we were media and we actually had arrived a little bit late. So these WVU fans in a pickup truck said, "Hey, if you want to sit in the cab of in the back of our truck, we'll take you up to the stadium." It's like okay. So they're driving about fifty miles an hour down that little service road, and they dropped us off right by the stadium. We said, "These folks are into their football." Yeah, yeah, no, they are, and and it's just good, and I mean, it, it engages that whole area. In fact, I, I we couldn't get hotels in uh, anywhere near Morgantown. We were across, just up in uh, across the Pennsylvania line. Can't mm-hmm. think of the name of the town, but somewhere not not that far over the, the line. But you know, it's just it's uh, it, it's an exciting, exciting spot, and I've been a couple times, and and I'm actually looking forward to going again. I would love to go sometime and and watch them in the backyard brawl. I mean, that would just be yes. fun. Well, and they just um, added four more games starting in 2029. So they're going to be playing this year and the next two years and then taking, I think, a two or three year hiatus. But then so they'll be playing seven times in the next decade, which is awesome to see. And honestly, in uh, selfishly, I'm hoping that they end up in the same conference not too not too far down the road. And by the way, I I can I can be willing to bet about 90 percent of our listeners right now present company included have country road uh playing in their head right now so (laughs) thank you for that all right well let's let's finish out the power five conferences and go to the acc so there's a lot of beauty out there as well along that atlantic coast so tell us steve what's a place that people want to go to based on your great stadium experience well i'll tell you um the, the one for me, and this one's probably not one most people would think of or it wouldn't jump to mind, but one of the ones I had a blast at was uh, Boston College. And and some of it is once I recognized that I wasn't going to get any parking on campus and parked way out on the green line and then took it back. It took the train in, which was wonderful. It stops right there in Chestnut Hill, right by the stadium. And, and, and the crowd, it was wonderful tailgating. There's a a parkade there. It's about three or four stories high beside, not far from the arena. And and I swear that place was almost like jumping. It was just springing. I mean, it's full, it's full of kids, mostly, mostly students. They're tailgating in there. They got, they got the grills going, everything in this parkade. And man, I swear you could see that building moving. And, and I thought that energy, what I talked about up front and, and then the whole thing with the, uh, with the American bald Eagle landing on the guy's arm at the start of the game, man, it was, it, you know, the football and I was there for Notre Dame the first time. So that was kind of fun too, the Holy war. And, uh, but it was, uh, it's, it's a neat stadium, honorable mention again, another one that might surprise you honorable mention to Georgia tech, Georgia tech is such a neat location. You're right in Atlanta, Beautiful view of the skyline. Yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty campus. Bobby Dodd Stadium is top drawer. You got the Ramblin' Wreck. It, it's it's uh, it gets an honorable mention. Yeah, and I, and I'm I know our our pal Sully, who's not with us this episode, but he's out in Boston, Massachusetts, and he's always pumping up the the BC Eagles and the BC football program. Just hoping and waiting for Halfley to get that program back up to national prominence. So he's gonna love hearing this playing back, uh, hyping up. Uh, alumni stadium out there in the Heights. Right so, uh, right and, and yeah, I'm glad you brought up Georgia tech because 
I love how you can sit in that stadium and see the skyline of Atlanta, which is just beautiful and breathtaking. And then, yeah, in addition to all the beautiful old gold and the rambling wreck and, you know, the, the rabid fans that are down there too, I think that Georgia Tech really is a sleeping giant and that's a gold mine of a college football resource that needs to be un- or that needs to be tapped and brought back to national prominence. But that's just yeah, my two I, I, I'd agree with that. All right. Well, let's go to group of five and, you know, we're not going to go to every conference there, but maybe give us uh, a couple of stadiums that stand out that are smaller sure. in size, smaller in national notoriety, but having yep. been there, you, you know, that, college football fans owe it to themselves to, to right. check these out. No, no hesitation. Far and away. Number one is, and I, I swear everybody's got to get there at least once Mikey stadium, West point, New York army. Yes. It, it is. It, if it, I mean, if you don't get goosebumps, just you got, you got to get through security to get onto, you know, under the base there. And once you're in and it's so beautiful, it's just up high by the reservoir and autumn and the colors and, and then the cadets come in and they're in uniform and man, and, and there's a great crowd and something about, cause I'll, I'll generally throw a bone to all the service academies. People, people are friendly and respectful and nice and, and there's a lot of history at Army, too. You know, you think about Red Blake and and back, yeah, I know it was back in the war times, but I mean, man, those, those guys, they have a lot of wins in that uh, program, a lot of tradition. Yeah, and to me, the best thing that happened with the COVID 2020 season was playing the Army-Navy game at Mikey Stadium on campus. Yes. That was something that yeah. I honestly wish that they would rotate between there and Annapolis every year. I, I mean, I don't yeah. need to see it in a big sold-out packed stadium. Show it no. to me on campus. Show me yeah. the, the cadets and the midshipmen and all the fans on campus there, especially because it got snowy in that game. And I'm, I'm a yeah. sucker for snowy games in November, <laughs> early December. Uh, it, it wasn't any more breathtaking than seeing my favorite college football game of the year played on that campus in that stadium. Well, and you're right. And I love Annapolis. Annapolis is very, very pretty. It's a pretty town. And again, the base, you can go through security and get over there to the naval side. And it's it's neat. But you talk about snow, a quick one. Uh, Darlene and I were at uh, Wyoming when Colorado State came in a couple of years back for the Snow Bowl. Yeah. And it was uh, Josh Allen was still playing there. And, and man, the first, you know, before the game, no snow. First quarter, it starts to snow a bit. And by halftime, man, we're in about a foot of it. And I got to drive back to Utah to catch my flight home the next day. <laughs> and oh, man. But it was it was still fun. I mean, we we had a good time at that game. So, yeah. yeah. But a, another another G5 one that a lot of guys might not think about, and it's it's off the beaten track, so it's hard to get to, is uh, UTEP, Texas El Paso. Yeah. yeah. The, the Sun Bowl is spectacular. Yes. It, it, it's built into the mountain. I mean, literally, they, they must have dynamited out the rock that could literally build it right in. And it's the only stadium I know where you can sit there and look out and you can see another country. And uh, yeah. it, it's uh, there's a couple of great micro brews not too far away. It's a, it's a friendly crowd. Yeah, their football has been lacking in the last while, and the crowds can be sparse. But but if for nothing more than to see the stadium, and, and it's a pretty pretty campus too, I I would give it like real good top marks. Two other quick ones: Cincinnati Nippert Stadium. Uh, it's just fun. And, and when the band comes running down the one end, it's like a nice little bowl and they come running down onto the field and, and the Bearcats right now are playing some fabulous football, but yep. it's, it's always been a fun place. 
I, I, first time I went first to Cincinnati was actually at Paul Brown. It was a drag. The even though it was Oklahoma, it still wasn't that great a game. Nippert is fun. It's just a good place to be. Yeah, and then uh, you said you had one more, Steve. Uh, there was yeah, another one more quick one. Would be yeah. uh, would yeah. be App State. Uh, I love I love North Carolina. I love Boone. Uh, it, it's it's a beautiful town. It, it sits up there in all the evergreens and and uh, and man and they, they've really I mean they're new to the FBS over the last decade or so, but but you know they still remember knocking off Michigan before they were and 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 the history and the energy and the vibe. Uh, great, a great restaurant there, Province House Micro Brew. Great spots. I just, I really like, I really like Boone. Yeah, yeah that's, that's one of the chief. That's one of the G fives I've actually been to, and you're right. The location is great. Um, the fans in Boone love their team, and they're they've been one of the more consistent powers in G five. So yes, you're pretty likely to get a pretty good showing when you go. Right on, right on. I agree with that. Yeah, and that's on my list. So I was kind of jotting down the stadiums. If I can make a top three of stadiums I want to visit, uh, that was on there along with Lane Stadium for Virginia Tech and Jordan-Hare Stadium. We already talked about it, Auburn. But, yeah, Kid Brewer Stadium out in Boone, North Carolina, just looks yeah. majestic with the, the Appalachians in the background. It is, uh, yeah. Their fans are as – I mean, that's one of those towns where everything shuts down and all that's going on that day or that night – is App State football, and yeah, you yeah. better pronounce it right. It's not Appalachian; it's Appalachian. That's and, Appalachian and really, if you if you want to get true Mountaineer, it's it's App State. It's not Appalachian State. You just yeah. you go to App State. So, uh, well, real quick before we we go to break here, Steve, can you give us maybe an underrated stadium relative to public opinion? Maybe a stadium that not many people talk about, and you're like, well, wait a minute, I've been there, yep. and this actually ranks higher for me. And then maybe also an overrated stadium, one that you hear people gush yeah. over, and then you're like, "Well, um, it's it wasn't as great as I thought." Right. Well, you 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 talked earlier about Utah and Logan, Utah State up in Logan, pretty pretty location, friendly people, definitely exceeded my expectations. I did I didn't know much about Logan, Utah. Great great town, great people, great stadium, good football game we saw. But the one that maybe was the two the best surprises I had. One was Charlotte. I just wasn't okay. thinking about UNC Charlotte and, and there we're at Charlotte, nice little stadium, nice campus, nice people, nice access, easy in and out. Um, I, I would say anybody wants to catch a, a smaller stadium, a G5 stadium. And if you're handy to Charlotte, man, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, and the other one, and I, we were there when we, I think we were there for the second game ever played there was at, in uh, at Colorado state at new Belgian at new Belgian sponsors, the place and everything. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, I, hell, I even got, uh, got to meet Cam and the Ram and, and uh, nice. a picture nice. taken with him. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very, and again, a beautiful location. So, you know, some of it, if, if, if you're from the East, you kind of really appreciate the differences when you get out to the West. And yeah. Some of those are just, but Charlotte, top row. Okay. Now what about overrated? Give us maybe one that, uh, you know, it kind of gives you a little sour taste in your mouth when you hear people hype it up. Well, yeah, I, I didn't have, I've been to Texas A&M a couple of times and I just don't get it there. I mean, okay. it doesn't mean it's, it's a great stadium. They fill it up. There's the 12th man and all that good stuff. And I've seen the, the you know, the Johnny football and, and John David Crow statues. And everything. But I mean, 
it just doesn't, I don't get the vibe there that I get at other places. And the other one, sorry, you asked for one, I'm going to give you two. The other one, and it's because when I was a kid, I used to watch the Rose Bowl parade on New Year's Day with my parents. Yeah. And, and and the Rose Bowl disappointed me. It, it It's it's pretty on the outside when you see that rose and it says Rose Bowl. You think, oh, that's kind of neat. And other than that, it just, I, I found it pretty pedestrian, to be honest. Yeah. And we had to park a bloody mile away and pay an arm and a leg to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you definitely want to bring a, a heavier wallet when you when you head out to Pasadena, that's for sure. So, right on. Um, well, Steve, I, I can say that this this interview has grossly exceeded my expectations, and I got to tell you, they were high. I was thinking we were going to go A. You hit it A plus. I'm going to give you A plus plus for this, man. I don't know about you, Wax, but uh, I love. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you all night about all the other stadium experiences, but we 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 do have to cram it into a, a reasonable show limit, but. Um, you know, Steve, we would love to have you on again if, if we ever talk about this or, you know, maybe just to talk OU football or UB Bowl football when we get into right. a little bit of action. So, um, yeah, we, we really appreciate having you on. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity. It was a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun. And I love this stuff, man. I could talk about it all night long, as you know. So. All right. Well, that was, uh, again, Steve, you can find him and follow him on Twitter at FB underscore Steve. And, you know, if you have any questions about in particular stadium experience, DM him, send him a message on Twitter. He's a great guy to talk to. Steve, have a good one. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to get to cover four, where we look at four interesting questions related to this weekend's NFL draft. And then Wax and I are going to make our picks in our last segment, talking about college football quarterback controversies post-spring, which teams, which major teams in the Power Five need to settle on a quarterback and who we think the winner will be. You're listening to College Football Impact on the CFP Podcast. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the CFI, College Football Impact on the CFP Podcast. We are now into our segment three, which is our cover four. Cover four. I told you guys, one of my favorites. I love it. There's so much to go into it. Yes, the beloved Cover 4 segment where Wax and I will tackle four big questions around our topic. And our topic today with the NFL draft being this weekend, it is going from college football to the NFL. What are some of the questions that need to be answered? Who are some of the players we should look out for, for high reasons or for maybe reasons that maybe shouldn't be so high? And then we'll get into our picks and come back to the college game where we look at quarterback controversies and quarterback battles so let's get right into it wax question number one you are the jacksonville jaguars and you have the number one pick in the draft you can go by team needs you can go just by what you see and what your gut tells you who do you take with the number one overall pick and why well it's uh team need and overall player actually to me are, are the same thing with jacksonville I know that he was hurt last year and some of the shine seemed to come off of him. I don't understand why Kayvon Thibodeau is being talked about behind Aiden Hutchinson. I think he's a terror. I think he's athletic. He plays the run and Jacksonville needs help up front. I've seen Trayvon Walker from Georgia kind of mock there, but um, I, I really think if you can get a guy off the edge, especially in a division that's uh I guess kind of there for the taking. It's not a great division. I mean, Tennessee is, is is pretty good. But, I mean, you got Houston that's sort of in shambles. So it's not a great division. If you can really force things on defense 
with a guy on the edge who isn't afraid to play against the run, I think you really start a, a, a slow build into, into a good contender. Yeah, see, I am actually going to go with Aiden Hutchinson. Now, those who know me know that I am not a Michigan homer. I live in Michigan, but Michigan is really, well, they're literally the last team that I root for to do well. But with Aiden Hutchinson, and no disrespect to Kayvon Thibodeau, but my, my question about Thibodeau is not so much the injury last year, but I wonder if the injury has given him some thought to, he seems to be somebody that, you know, I remember seeing um, a preseason interview with him and he was kind of talking about starting up a, a business of his own and kind of taking that off. I know that he had his own form of cryptocurrency, but he seems to be somebody that might be geared towards the business aspect of life. And I think he's a smart dude. I mean, he's a, he's a top-notch chess player from what we found out. So I think that he's kind of seeing the average lifespan of an NFL player. And while I don't doubt that he can be a very successful person, if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm looking for somebody who I think will give me a little bit more longevity and maybe a little bit more focus in terms of playing football. And for me, that's Hutchinson. So not only does he disrupt the passer, he's explosive, he's a grinder, he's got a motor that won't quit, but he's a technician. He wants to improve not only himself and his skills, but others around him. He's got outstanding character. He is somebody, even though he played at Michigan, if, if my daughters were of age and he asked for their hand in marriage, I would say absolutely, because everything I see about this guy, even if he wasn't about to be a multimillionaire in the NFL, if he was just bagging groceries, I would say because of what I know about you, because of I, you know, the work ethic I know you have and the character you have, that's what I want to build my franchise around, which Jacksonville needs right now. They need somebody. And Doug Peterson came out and said, we need to build culture. And for me, again, no disrespect to any of the other players, especially Kayvon Thibodeau, but for me, it's Aiden Hutchinson that I want to spend my number one pick with for many, much of those reasons, Wax. All right, so let's go to question number two. Give us a player that you really see transferring their skills to the next level for years to come. And I'll start with this one and then defer to you, but there's a few players I had on this list and I don't want to step on any toes. So I'll give you two. Uh, and actually we'll kind of bounce back, but I'll give you one. You give me one. So I'm going to start with Zion Johnson, offensive guard from Boston college. So of all offensive linemen, he had the most bench press reps, which to me, obviously you need to have upper body strength. And there are some people, football people who will say bench pressing really does not translate to skill on the field. And I get that. However, it does show that you've got the strength and, he also does have some good athleticism. I think the fact that he came back last year to kind of improve his technique and hone his skills a little bit more. He also had, you know, as a top 10 broad jumper. So he's an athletic guy. And by most accounts, he is somebody that could have been drafted and could have started maybe on an NFL team last year, but he's one more year of experience and one more year of knowledge wiser. So for me, Zion Johnson is somebody who I could see playing at the next level for more than just the two, three years. That is the average wax. Who do you have? Well, and with Zion Johnson, he's also got versatility. I believe he's played both tackle and both guard spots too. Mm -hmm. So he's a guy that yes. you can plug in. You can draft him as a guard. And if your tackle gets hurt, just slide him out. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that the Dallas uh, can, can get his name or maybe even a Kenyon green from Texas A&M. They need offensive line help, and if they get either of those two guys, I'll be thrilled. The guy I like that really seems to have a today's NFL game sort of skill set is Damian Pierce from Florida. 
Um, I know he's not the best running back in this class. It's not a great running back class, but he catches passes. He can uh, line up out wide. He's really electric in space, and he's got that home run burst that after about three steps, boom, he can be gone, and fast pace and, and running backs who can catch the ball are really what are in demand. I mean, you look at like an Alvin Kamara, a Christian McCaffrey. He's got that type of skill set in that he's not just a guy who's going to tote the ball 10 times a game. He's going to do some damage in the passing game too. Yeah, and I agree. Being in that Dan Mullen offense, regardless of their flaws that they had last year, Pierce is a guy who I, I, I think that's a great pick wax, transferring his skills to what's needed and what's used in the NFL. I'm going to go over to defense now, and the defensive guy, I actually have a couple, but the one I want to highlight is Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. 6'4", 220 is awesome size. He's got range. He can run the alley and, and make the open field tackle, but he also can help keep the lid on a defense in the passing game. And he's a character guy. He's a leader. He's somebody that started from day one at Notre Dame, a premier college football program. So for me, that is going to translate into success long-term in the NFL. So Kyle Hamilton's another guy that – I would ink him and know that you've got a, a solid foundation for years to come. And I see you've got a defensive guy that I love this pick, Wax, but tell us who's another one that you see transferring their skills and being a star in the NFL. Yeah, he kind of was was preceded by one of his teammates last year who ended up having a really good rookie season with the Bengals and Logan Wilson. But I really love Chad Muma, not just because – He's from Wyoming, but he can play any of the three linebacker spots. He can cover. I think he had a pick six last year, and he's maybe had two in his career. Um, He looks like he's undersized when you see him, but he goes sideline to sideline. He'll hit you. And I think in today's NFL, when they're asking linebackers, they're asking the defensive guys just occupy people and the linebackers to really come up and fill holes and make tackles. I think Chad Muma is a guy who fits that to a T. Yep, totally agree. I'm going to miss watching him play college football. He was one of my favorite linebackers to watch, not just this year, but maybe ever. All right, let's go to question three. Who's a player that you think might be a bit overrated, and you wouldn't be surprised if you didn't see his name on an NFL roster in five years, Wex? Um, I've got two. I will pare it down to one. Um, I really thought after his freshman year – that George Pickens was, was ticketed for stardom. He had the injury, which was really unfortunate. Um, he really didn't. I mean, he played in the, in, in the national championship, but he really didn't contribute. Enough. And if you look at it, even in his freshman year, as good as he was, he's not a super athletic guy. I mean, right. he's, he's, he's not as big as, as you think he is. I mean, he's an outside guy. He can, he can body people, but he's just not, frame wise all that imposing with the nfl starting to go toward bigger corners who can press and who can kind of throw you off your route you got to be able to win at the line of scrimmage i'm not sure george can do that and if you aren't athletic in this day and age as an outside receiver i don't know if you've got a lot of years in in, in the nfl i'm rooting for him because i really like his perseverance and coming back but i'm not sure that if you would have given me freshman George Pickens, I would have said the first or second best receiver in the draft. But I think maybe the knee isn't isn't uh, completely healed, but he didn't look like the same guy. And going back and looking at some of his games, he's just not as athletic as I think you need a receiver to be. Yeah, I, I would agree with that pick. I'm going to stay in the SEC, and I'm going to go Matt Corral. Now, 
I hate saying this because I love watching him play college football. But the reason I love watching him play is because he's a gamer and he mm-hmm. puts his body out there and he's reckless. And in the NFL, you can't do that at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard some comps to Johnny Manziel in terms of his style of play. And Johnny Manziel is now playing in a league where the fans are telling him what play to run. And they're kind of running that in like a seven on seven flag football type scheme. So while I, I hope that Corral proves me wrong, I just don't see him lasting for five years, given his style of play. And, you know, he was banged up the last year and, and a half or so. The other one I kind of put a question mark next to is John Mechie at Alabama. Now he's got below average size and below average speed relative to the others in this pretty rich wide receiver class. But I think he also benefited from a great supporting cast the year before Devonte Smith. And he had Mac Jones throwing to him. He had Bryce Young throwing to him this year. And Jamison Williams was occupying a lot of attention on the other side. So I think that if you switch John Mechie and put him on a team, say like Wisconsin or even staying in the SEC, you put him on a team like even Arkansas. I think Traylon Burks is still a better receiver than him at Arkansas. I think you put him even at Vanderbilt. He's going to be a star in Vanderbilt, but I don't know that he's the name that people are going to be putting as an NFL talent because of those measurables. All right, let's go to question four. Our last one on cover four here. Which position player, and no kickers, no specialists, which position player might go undrafted but could garner a lot of underdog love, kind of like Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, John Randall, Tony Romo? There's a lot you could pull from, but who do you see maybe going undrafted or maybe they're taken mid to late last round, seventh round, but becomes a story and is a name that people say, I can't believe he wasn't drafted or I can't believe he went drafted so low? A guy who I really like because I like the team, um, I could see a Kyle Phillips being a guy who slips through the cracks because he's not big. He's 5'11". Yeah. He doesn't have home run speed. He doesn't have these great measurables. But he just caught everything that was yeah. thrown his way. He could be like one of those pesky, like a Hunter Renfro. He's not going to be like a Cooper Cup who actually – has some decent speed, but he's just a guy who's going to run to the sticks, turn around, catch the ball, get your first down, and keep going. I think Kyle Phillips is, and it's because it is such a rich receiver class, he's a guy who may be mid-seventh round still available, and he may slip through the cracks, and then some team's going to go, man, we got a guy who can play for us for eight, ten years. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the Los Angeles Chargers would be a great fit for him. And I think that he would be a great fit for them as well. I like that pick. I'm going to go to the Mac and say safety Sterling Weatherford from Miami of Ohio. Now, listen to these numbers, 6'4", 224. So he's actually got better size than Kyle Hamilton. He ran a 4'5", He's a sound tackler. I think he started all four years. And he's smart. He's a smart dude. He's a leader. He's a, a captain in that secondary, a center fielder. But he's also, like I said, a great tackler. He's just an all-around great player. I think that he's somebody that might get overlooked, slips late, and becomes one of those fixtures for a team that is a multi-year starter and somebody that you look back and say, really, he wasn't drafted or he went seventh round? Where did he play? Oh, Miami of Ohio? He didn't play in a Power 5 league. So I like Sterling Weatherford there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to our fourth and final segment, our pick segment. And so for this one, we're going to switch back to the college game exclusively. And we're looking at quarterback 
competitions. Now, most of the spring games are done. And really, all of these teams that we're going to highlight, their spring games are over. And some people think that there's a little more clarity with these quarterbacks in the room. Others say, nope, it's still up in the air. And of course, their coaches are smart and they're not naming a starter. Well, all but one of them are, are not naming a starter until afterwards because they want to wait until that May 1st deadline passes because they don't want to see QB2 or QB3 see their name below number one and then jump to the portal. So let's start with Texas A&M Wax. You've got Max Johnson, Haynes King, maybe even Connor Wigman. Who do you think starts for Texas A&M or is the, is the starter by week four, week five, and ends up starting the majority of the games, not by injury, but by earning it, Wax? Who's the Aggie starting quarterback? I know that A&M is kind of one of the buzz teams and kind of the, 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 the sexy pick because of the great recruiting class that they had and the NIL money and all that stuff. I actually think – I don't want to say they're undoing because I still think they'll be good, but I don't think that they have top-notch quarterback play no matter who starts. That said, I do think his fact the fact that he's been on campus, been in the program, I think that Haynes King is, is going to get it. Um, Max Johnson, I know he went there to – get the starting job, and he had some pedigree at LSU. Um, to me, he was too inconsistent as a thrower. Um, so I think that Haynes King familiarity with the system and the fact that he he, he knows Jimbo and he's kind of been through a, a couple of wars with him, I think Haynes King is the guy. Yeah, I think Haynes King is one of the most deceptive athletes playing quarterback in college football. He might be the fastest quarterback in college football. Others might disagree, but – I actually think it's going to go to Max Johnson and I was not impressed by his performance in the spring game, but I think giving him the spring, giving him the summer, I'm judging based on, I was impressed by how he played his first couple of seasons at LSU being thrown to the wolves in the sec, following up the, the Joe Burrow era, the, the short lived Joe Burrow era, but one of the best college football teams in, in history, one of the best quarterbacks in history. I like Max Johnson. And I think that overall he's going to give them what Jimbo likes in a quarterback more so than Haynes King. And again, that's not to take anything away from Haynes King. I hope that he starts, if not at AM, at some other program down the line. And again, just to be clear for our listeners, we're not going with who we think is going to be the game one starter because that could change. We're going with, as you look at the 12 games, 13 games that they're going to play, we're going to look back and say, okay, Wax says Haynes King is going to be the guy that starts the majority of the games. I'm saying Max Johnson. Let's go to Ann Arbor, Wax, not a place that you or I love particularly, but Michigan. Who do you think is the Michigan quarterback between Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy? Probably whoever Jim Harbaugh wakes up uh, the morning of the game and decides to start. Uh, no, I, I, I've seen this enough. There's always buzz around a guy like McCarthy who seems to have a good skill set. And then what happens? The, the, the wily veteran who, who looks like he's starting to get some confidence McNamara gets the job and and I think it's going to be McNamara again especially coming off of last year's Big Ten title um, they are going to have Ronnie Bell back so they are going to get a veteran in their receiving core um, and I think that they're going to be they're going to probably be a little more ground centric which maybe would play into McCarthy's skill set a bit but I just think McNamara is not quite the I guess the the wild card McCarthy can give you a great play but he could also say uh what the hell was that he'll either put the ball yeah. on the ground or throw an ill-advised pass so i think harbaugh wants to go safe and will take cade mcnamara 
And for those reasons, I'm saying McNamara as well. Now, I like Kate McNamara. I don't know why he gets crapped on so much, even by Michigan fans. But you look at the history of Jim Harbaugh quarterbacks at Michigan, uh, Wilton Spate, Jake Rudock in his first year, John O'Corn, and there's some others that are some outliers, but consistently they look more like Cade McNamara or Cade McNamara looks more like them. And I actually think McNamara gives Michigan and Harbaugh a better chance of winning than some of those previous quarterbacks that we mentioned. So I'm going to go with McNamara as well. And I'll be curious to see if, if McCarthy is still in Ann Arbor, if that happens by the end of the season. All right, LSU. So we've got not only Garrett Nussmeyer, who started four games last year and, and preserved his red shirt, and not only Miles Brennan, who's coming back from an injury, but then you throw in Jaden Daniels, who transferred from Arizona State. He was in for the spring and took the first snaps at the spring game, by the way. Who do you see winning that quarterback battle between those three and being the, the consistent starter in 2022? I think it's going to be Miles Brennan. I think had he not gotten hurt, he would have been the guy last year um, over Max Johnson. Uh, the reason I didn't didn't like Johnson at AM and why I wouldn't have liked him if he had stayed at LSU. I know it's only been two years, but he's completed less than 50, 60% of his passes for two years. And if you're at LSU with Kayshawn Boutte and some of the receivers that they've had, and you're having problems completing passes, I don't know if that's necessarily the, uh, the, the best thing in the world. So uh, Brennan obviously was behind and he has been kind of dinged up himself and what do they always say about the best ability is availability? So, so in that aspect, he he may need to get a little better there. But um, I just think Jaden Daniels, after a great freshman season, has just regressed. And I know that LSU li likes the fact they have three guys that can play. I don't know if they really have any of them that are super good that are going to take them where they want to get. But for the purposes of this exercise, I'm going to say Miles Brennan. Yeah, I like Miles Brennan, but. I just get the feeling that Brian Kelly, he's coming in. It's a clean state. He's going to want to pave a future and do so once they are, quote unquote, out of the SEC West hunt. So I'm not sure of Brennan's eligibility. I don't. He, I know he's an upperclassman, but Garrett Nussmeyer is a redshirt freshman. The word is that he's got the best arm there. And to me, it's he seems more like the Brian Kelly type quarterback. And Kelly is going to start to load for not 2022, but 2023 and beyond. And I think that Nussmeyer is going to give them the best shot to do that. I'm not sold on Jaden Daniels. In fact, I think I saw a couple of videos where he was taking some snaps at receiver. I honestly think that Kelly, it was a calculated ploy to have him take the first snaps to get people talking, to get people buzzing. And he says that all three quarterbacks, four actually, if you include Walker Howard, the early enrollee freshman, he says that all four are, are pushing each other and it's as tight as he thought, if not tighter. But I really think it comes down between Brennan and Nussmeyer, and, and I'm going to go with Nussmeyer. All right, let's go to Chapel Hill. Mac Brown needs to replace Sam Howell, and he's got Drake May. He's got Jacoby Criswell. There's another freshman that's in the mix, but I think it's down to a two-person race. Who do you like between May and Criswell, Wax? Uh, I, I like Drake May. I mean, he's imposing. He's like 6'5", um, and he, in, in limited action last year, and I know that Sam Howell kind of liked playing the, the um, seat of your pants is on fire and all this other stuff, but Drake may average over 10 yards a carry on six carries. So he's got some mobility. He can make plays with his legs um, in the limited uh, in, in the limited part of the spring game. I saw he looked comfortable. Uh, I think that it helps that he's been in the system. 
So I think it's going to be Drake May just because he is versatile. He can run and he can throw. And it looks like he watched a lot of Sam Howell and kind of knows what he should do, but more importantly, knows what he shouldn't do. Yeah, see, when I watched the spring game, I actually felt better about Criswell and his comfortability and confidence. He just seemed to be a lot more smooth. He seemed like he was going out there just playing catch with his with his boys. Whereas Drake May, it seemed like he played with knowing that there's all these expectations and feeling like he's got to take this offense on his shoulders and use his weapons that he has around him, obviously. But I just saw him playing a little tighter. That being said, this is a huge recruit that Mac Brown brought in. He decommitted from Alabama, and there's a lot of political pressure that comes with that. And Jacoby Criswell transferred from Florida, I believe, and he's been in the system a little bit longer than Drake May. But I think, again, if you're looking long-term and if you're looking for setting a foundation where North Carolina can go with a guy for at least a couple of years, May is the, is the better choice, even though I was more impressed by Criswell overall throughout the spring. So I'm going to go with May as well. Um, all right, well, our last one here, Oregon. So you've got Bo Nix, who transfers in from Auburn. You've got Ty Thompson, who was a five-star recruit a couple of years ago. Who do you like, Wax? Well, uh, um, you know that I've not always been on the Bo Nix hype train. Um, I'm not necessarily on the hype train, but I think that the mix of Dan Lanning as head coach, and I think that Kenny Dillingham – is going to be able to unlock whatever uh, was not able able to be unlocked for Bo at Auburn. Um, I think that he's actually going to have a pretty good season. And the, the fact that he can run, Oregon has always liked the versatile quarterbacks, and Bo is a guy who can get out in space and isn't afraid to take off. Um, and he he's a decent passer. And sometimes when the moment got too big, he didn't always make the best decisions. But I think with a new slate starting starting clean with Lanning and the new staff, I think they're going to be able to utilize him to uh, to a really good ability, especially with a pretty young um, receiving core. I know that they got Chase Coda as a transfer, but they don't have a lot of established guys at receiver. So you may see Bo actually making a lot of plays with his legs early in the year, but I think just the fact that he's been around college football, he's been a starter in a pressure cooker program. I think that the job is supposed to lose and I don't think he's going to lose it. I agree wholeheartedly. And I'm about to drop a bomb on the college football world. So listeners, I want you to make sure you're sitting down wax. I want you to listen to me carefully. Okay. I think it's going to be Bo Nix. And one of the reasons why is because he's got experience playing against Georgia and he's got former Georgia D coordinator, Dan Lanning in his ear. And he's got Kenny Dillingham, who I love as an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. I think not only does Bo Nix win the starting job, I think Bo Nix and Oregon beat Georgia in that week one matchup because of Nix's experience and because Nix, I think, has this chip on his shoulder, especially going up against the Georgia Bulldogs, a team that as an Auburn Tiger, they don't like. I mean, that was a rivalry. So, and, you know, obviously the Georgia connection with Lanning, I think getting the dogs off of their national championship and getting them in week one early on before you, you really know a lot about either team. I think Oregon's got the advantage and I agree with you. I think Nix's athletic ability and I think just his gamesmanship and being out of the system that he was in with Gus Malzahn and then with Brian Harson, I think that he's going to be set up to be better with Kenny Dillingham. 
And I like the athletes that Oregon has, and, and that might spring them into contention for possible CFP. We'll, we'll get into our picks later in the, uh, in the summer, but um, I'm, I'm going right now. If I had to pick today, I would take the Oregon Ducks over the Georgia Bulldogs, and a big reason why is if Bo Nix is the starter. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to knock Georgia off, it's going to be early. I mean, I know that they got Stetson Bennett back, but they got to replace so much of that defense that yep. that those the, 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 the month of September, if they get through that, they're probably rolling. But you're yep. right. That's that's a potential in mine. I think after last year's disappointment, people are overlooking Oregon a little bit. USC is the new shiny toy uh, in, in the league with Lincoln Riley, and Oregon might be there to sneak up on people. Yep, and then we actually had one more team on here, but news today at Baylor, Jerry Bohannon, or Gary Bohannon, I should say, is entering the transfer portal after Blake Shapin, a redshirt sophomore, has been named the starter. Now, I'm a little curious as to why Dave Aranda named that starter right now, why he wouldn't wait, let it play out. To me, that screams that Shapin wowed them so much, and it's not to say that Bohannon didn't, but you know, Wax, you brought up some good points off air that if you're going to replace somebody who started so many games like Bohannon did and basically was a leader, not just last year, but kind of Baylor's getting back into good graces the prior year. I mean, he started over the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. So for him to get upseated by a guy who was a redshirt freshman last year and a good player, to me, that says a lot about shaping. And if it's so much to where Bohannon says, okay, it sounds like they're deadlocked on him. I'm going to go find another place to play. Now, what are your thoughts on Bohannon's transfer? What are your thoughts on Shapin being named the starter? Uh, I mean, Shapin obviously in his limited action and, and in the bowl game, he showed some good accuracy. And like you said, um, Aranda must have seen enough in the spring that it wasn't close enough to say that it's a competition going into the spring. And like you say, a lot of coaches – will do that just for, for sheer fact of game, gamesmanship, keep their guys focused, make sure everyone comes back with a little bit of an edge. But they must be reverting a little bit more to maybe more of a passing offense, um, which Shapin does have the upper hand on, not quite the runner, uh, especially inside the, the red zone that Bohannon is. So they must know something that they saw in the spring that they, that they named uh, – Blake, the starter, by the way, I changed my pick. I did say Blake Shapin now. So I'm going to count that one. Right. <laughs> yep. So we, we both got that one. We're, we're one for one. Yeah. So, all right. Well, anything else wax before we wrap up what I think has been a, a very entertaining episode today. Well, to uh, kind of piggyback uh, off of our guest, Steve, I am, albeit it won't be in game situations, but, uh, my plan anyway, um, you mentioned it uh, a little bit before, uh, getting to see uh, the lovely uh, out west and the Pac-12, and I, I don't think I'm going to go to Logan, but um, certainly Weber State, Utah, and BYU are on the agenda. So, Excellent. You'll have I to would love to me see them for a game, but they don't play football in May. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, send me send me any pictures that you take out there because, like we were talking about with Steve, I mean, it's picturesque out there. Yes, really, I, I don't I don't care what time of year you go. It's just, I mean, Utah's a, a beautiful place, especially when you've got a football stadium in the shot. So, indeed, awesome. Well, once again, this is CFI on the CFP podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at CFP CFB or online at www.cfpcollegefootball.com. 
You can follow Wax on Twitter at CFFM Waxman. And I'm at champion underscore lit for me, Chappie. And just know that you're going to get great knowledge of great college football from us, the experts. So please reach out and hit us up with your takes. We like the banter because we love the sport. Again, this has been the College Football Impact on the CFP podcast. Have a great night. Be good, everybody.